Welcome to the new Health Club podcast. If you want to know about psychedelics as new mental health tools, you came to the right place. I talk to innovators, thought leaders and disruptors, creating the future of mental health and mental wellness. This podcast deals with drugs. Drugs are dangerous and you should not do drugs. Furthermore, the use and or trade of drugs may be punishable by law. This podcast is not suitable for people under the age of 18. Hello and welcome to a new episode. My guest on the podcast today is Gisela Getty. She's a German photographer, film director and author, but beyond all these job descriptions, Gisela is a lifelong seeker, as she says. Gisela and her twin sister, Jutta Winkelmann, were high-profile representatives of what Germans call the 68 movement, but they wanted more than that and left the country in the late 60s. Gisela married John Paul Getty. They lived in California and were part of a bohemian circle that included Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen and also Timothy Leary, the controversial psychologist who researched LSD in the 60s. So Gisela and Jutta were around when psychedelics were here for the first time, but also when the use of psychedelics was very much aligned with changing a whole society and the world. So what can we learn about that time and use it for today? I talked to Gisela about her own psychedelic journey that brought her lifelong insights. We talk about Timothy Leary's impact back then and what Gisela's take on the psychedelic renaissance is that we are experiencing today. Please enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the new Health Club show, Gisela Getty. We're very excited to have you on the show. Gisela is kind of a very special person to describe, and she likes to think about herself as a seeker. And she and her sister Jutta left Germany in the 70s to kind of engage into a bohemian lifestyle, you could say, and from there her seeker personality fully developed. <laughs> since then. So, but of course, we want to talk about psychedelics today. And you and your sister, I think in, in the 70s, got to the countryside in Italy and had your first psychedelic experience together. Your, your twin sister, we, we would, should add that because it kind of has a very important reason that she was your twin sister. So maybe you just talk about how did you get there? How did you had that idea, okay, we have to do this now because something has to be experienced or explored. My sister and I, after a period of working as political activist in Berlin, uh, we realized that it's still too much a field, uh, too tight. That was already in the 70s. The 60s had turned more to political organization like uh, Marxist-Leninist movement, and we were part of this uh, special group. And I experienced it as too tight, too institutionalized already. And also the zeitgeist was more that women came into their own quest. You know, some of the feminism then moved into more and more increasingly more into what I call the victim feminism. <laughs> I won't get into this right now. <laughs> and we had decided we want to do something that so far only men had done to go into something, to go into the unknown. And that was also physically, we said we decided to go to Rome. There was a, first we went there and we still like searched out the connection to more anarchist group and Lotta Continua. But then in Rome, the, the summer of love came, arrived a little bit later. And of course we completely full of that spirit. And now looking back, I would say that the, 
that going there was already the quest for self-realization. And there's a question, who am I? Or I had taken a little bit at LSD in, as it in, in Berlin, but there was also great fear of it. Of course, we smoked, but there was a fear I had, you know, because growing up in Germany, learning from, like hearing from the older generation, you know, drugs will kill you. I had like an innate fear of it, but I had taken a little bit and it was a revelation in terms of, I felt like I was hearing the first time. I heard the music of Pink Floyd and it was just a hearing experience, not more. And in, when we were in Rome, my sister and I, I had told her about it and we said, you know, let's take a good amount. We, in the meantime, we had heard about, we had read, of course, we knew about Timothy Leary, who at that point we didn't know personally. Anyway, we ended up at the beach and we took this LSD. And this, I always refer to it as enlightenment. That's where I got my enlightenment, my LSD enlightenment. I had an out-of-body experience and it took me completely out of all everything that I knew so far, you know, that the, the reality as we perceive it is just a construct which dissolves, you know, any moment. And also that we are beings that are connected to everything, you know, that we are beings of love. Even though now it's, it's very difficult to talk about it, but I like to talk about it because this is a question very much today too. And... Um, this experience was, I describe it, I write a little bit about it, and my sister and I, in our books that we wrote together, this, I would say, changed my life. You know, just to see myself in relationship to everything, you know, to every animal, to everything, to every tree. It also was a, like a sacred experience, you know, it was like a holy experience. From then on, I also feel I was lost to the world, you know. I mm -hmm. was uh, in a sense that I also had problems later on, not because I was stuck in the experience, but because you just see through everything, you know. You see more and you don't believe the identification so much, you know. But this whole experience also kind of set me on a path, you know, till now. Even though I haven't taken any drugs now in a very long time, you know, I stopped doing it. I, I experimented a little bit with ayahuasca in the mm, end of 80s, beginning of 90s, mm -hmm. but um, nothing more since then. I, I have another technique. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's <you> don't <laughs> need anymore. <laughs> but it brought me there, you know, and I think as a, you know, as a window, it's a very good method, you know, to do it. But I mean, uh, a lot of people that maybe have done even psilocybin or LSD in their 20s, sometimes just because they were in, in college, I mean, especially in America, most people really kind of talk about this as one of the most important experiences in their lives. And it's interesting how, for example, if you today go on... Um, for example, to synthesis, to this legal mushroom retreat. Like, it's always that after the trip, six months after the trip is when your life kind of starts to change in a way that 
you're not going to say, well, this is going to change and that and that. Suddenly things come into your life or you kind of exp have experiences and you, or you lose certain feelings and, and that you were always related to certain situations, like you hate that person or you love that person. So, And um, it's interesting, I find that it's not even, you can't even control what will come out of this. And I think this is exactly what most people today are very scared of. But coming back to the time um, in the 70s, so I mean, at that time, it was obviously very much related to a counterculture idea, rather, I feel, or to, to a bohemia way of life that people started to experiment with this? Or is this just an impression yeah, I you have think, today? I, I think you can put it in a, in a broader sense. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not so much about the bohemian way of life. No, when I say I'm a seeker, you know, I don't feel that I have a different experience or position than anyone. Our whole generation were seekers. You know, we were really looking and also living in a different world. And I think the experiences with, with um, psychedelics is, is very different than today. Because psychedelics is a set and the setting, you know, and you are yeah. very perceptive to the zeitgeist. And not only that you're perceptive to the zeitgeist, you are also the one who expresses it, you know. You express what's in you, and LSD doesn't add anything, you know. It, it changes, uh, how Casanino would say, it changes the montage, the screws, you know. Mm -hmm. You unscrew. Mm -hmm. And then you just get to see what's in you, you know, it's, and it's a world in you that is nothing like you ever in a normal state have imagined. There are things inside of you that are so beyond that you ask yourself, you know, where does it come from? What is it? What's happening with me? You know, where is it coming from? It's really a little... I think I, I read a lot about the near-death experience that people have, and I think that's very comparable. You know, you can compare it with a near-death experience. And in a way, you have to give up your body. You know, you have to give up your physical being, and you, you just lie or sit somewhere, and from the outside, you know, somebody probably would say, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't look so great yeah, while yeah. you inside, you <laughs> yeah, know, have yeah, exactly. like enormous experiences. And yeah. it's like when you look upon somebody who is dying, you know, it, it looks scary when somebody withdraws so far. You know, I had that time I spent with my twin sister when she was dying in February making a film about it that scares us, you know, because the physicality, the physical body goes so much into the background, you know, it goes so much into the background and the inner life and the spiritual life, you know, that becomes your world. But I mean, I had this, uh, the, my first guided LSD thing, I was, after five minutes, I was pregnant with twins for six hours. I mean, I never had that experience in real life, but it just thought, okay, maybe it's just, in the beginning, I feel that way, but it, I was pregnant for six hours and it was an amazing experience. So, but I mean, coming back to your kind of time when you, when you got into this or when it became actually also something that was related also to, I'm not going to say like Hollywood people, but it was kind of a certain forward thinking Hollywood group of people. I mean, like Dennis Hopper, um, Jack Nicholson was around at that time. 
I mean, the whole Easy Rider group, I guess. So, but I mean, it, if you look at this today, it seems like a very interesting group of people where you that you belong to mm. that kind of wanted to invent also a new world with movies, with doing interviews. Um, I mean, the whole new Hollywood development with Warren Beatty was probably related also to a new insight with psychedelic drugs, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't so single out the Hollywood community, mm -hmm. you know, it, it just, as I say, you know, because I was married to Paul and because when you're in a certain scene, you know, you meet a lot of people, mm -hmm. but this was different, you know, at that time it was different. They weren't called celebrities, you know, it wasn't about right. that. Mm -hmm. As you said, it was really about creating a new world, you mm -hmm. know, and, and we looked upon each other, we looked at each other like we were all a huge family, you know, big family. The, the, the factions, the interests that we also had into each other, that big networks that we now have, you know, online was already done <laughs> there, you know, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a more mental way, even though this is, is very mental. And I would say the internet is already more advanced than drugs as a tool, you know, to come to yourself. It's a more it's the next advanced technology. I don't think drugs can are the, the, the best medium for that anymore. But there's still like a possibility to have a moment, you know, but mm -hmm. you can't continue taking them, you know. You have an experience and then you change your life or you have an insight, you know, that puts you as a different person, you know, into your environment and in the connection to people. Mm -hmm. But... Um, Coming back, so 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 the people, Dennis Hopper, of course, was Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, all these people, you know, they yeah. were just, you look at each other and you would recognize, you know, and that happened with, with all the people who want a new world, world, but also we thought we are already living it. And which you were, probably. Which we were. Yeah. It was I mean. a moment of a different world. Was a, it was a very ecstatic moment and a world. I was convinced we are just on the edge, you know, and it's going to change. And these few people who are still holding on to their fears, the nationalism and the, the being conservative and racism, all this, you know, it's a very, it's a violent expression of fear, you know, behind mm -hmm. it is, is, is fear. And we could see the fear, you know, and I, I, would, I always thought, People will cross it, you know, they will get through the fear. And I think looking back now, the whole evolution, I think that's happening. Of course, right now we are confronted with a lot of our own fascism, I would say, you know, our own violence. But um, because of the internet, we see it all now, and all consciousness is starting with seeing, you know, we see it and we see how violent we are and how horrible we are. And, how much we destroy this planet, in the end ourselves, because the planet will always survive, but ourselves and on what an intense suicide trip we are. But I think that period is finishing, you know, we see it more and more. And also Corona helps us, you know, to see, you know, because uh, we see what's going on in the slaughterhouses, you know, we see how much poverty there is, you know, we see the, un the, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, the indigenous people move, um, and all the young people, they don't want it anymore, you know, we don't, they say we, we really want a different world. Mm. I mean, which is interestingly, kind of 
connecting, I feel sometimes very strongly to that time in the late 60s where people had a similar kind of moment of expressing that kind of. And then of course, I mean, um, Germans hate the alt 68er, like they like to kind of not make fun of them. But I mean, it's always like conceived as something very um, irrational and like only crazy shit came out of this. But if it you look did. at it now, <laughs> but also it didn't, it's like both. Things, yeah, I mean, that's a question I also uh, thought about a lot, you know. Why is the world now as it is? Yeah. Because we already understood, you know, at that time, all the, the, the original idea about uh, 68 or, or all the values of, of 68, there were anti-consumerism, there were anti-capitalism. We had the Black Panther, you know, it was all this was already there, but it was such an intense moment and the window closed again. And then what others made out of it, you know, the, the, the development later on, you know, led to a lot of very difficult things, you know, to turbo capitalism, mm -hmm. to consumerism and all this. But that's not, when we say alt 60, old 68, you know, I don't think we really mean or remember of the original flame, what happened then, you know, because even the simple line where you can make fun of today, haha, you know, it's like make love, not war, will be the idea that will save us, you know, all the war towards animals, you mm -hmm. know, that we kill mm -hmm. and eat, you know, all the war that's between the generations, between the races, you know, between men and women between all this, you know, has to be transformed into love. And um, I actually, I'm very hopeful, you know, I can see it that it's happening. Mm -hmm. And the idea that we have had a little bit of a, as I said, you know, looking through the window and looking on that, mm -hmm. there was just like a preview, you know, and slowly, and the criticism about Alt-68 Alt is mostly from what we call the sandwicher generation. You know, it's like people around 40, 50, yeah, true. who actually have, they lived in this kind of um, turbo-capitalism, you know. But the young people, the very young people, they already see a difference, you know, mm -hmm. and they understand that in the 60s, you know, all the ideas yeah. will be not brought back, you know, but will be lived in a, in a different way. And, and it's already happening in the internet. You know, if you look at social media, it's like so and so many people, so millions, billions are friends. We are all connected, mm -hmm. you know, we share. But we, our consciousness hasn't even arrived at the, at the realization, you know, how huge it is that we're in the middle of a peaceful revolution. I mean, I want to talk about what you said, this window that you had in the 60s, because there was also a window for psychedelics, like almost like the, I think it's, it's described as the second wave, where actually Timothy Leary even got to research the LSD in Harvard. So, and you met Timothy Leary at one point. Um, and looking at it from today, a lot of people in the new psychedelic field, in the third wave right now, 
One of their biggest fears is that something like what happened in the case of Timothy Leary to kind of will lead again to a, another criminalization, which is now on the way to be a decriminalization. I always was wondering, I still couldn't figure out even reading about this and then Vanity Fair and everywhere, what, what was going on at that time that it kind of led to this full stop in, in, in that window with psychedelics? I mean, you know, knew him, you knew that time, so maybe you could just can talk about what, what was exactly the, the thing. Well, yes, I think the drugs, the second in, in my generation was really a tool to realize the connectiveness, the connections that we all have, you know, the sacredness, the holiness of our existence, you know, of our uh, real truth that we ha all have inside. But it also was a very wild time, you know, we didn't know uh, drugs, you know, we had to experiment and it was dangerous and it meant changing the world, you know, it meant stepping out, as Timothy Leary said, you know, turn on, turn on, drop out, drop out, you know, go out of this whole system we of have. Of your school, of your drafts. Well, of Vietnam the whole system and, of capitalism yeah. in mm. a way, you know, so drugs were considered, and Timothy Leary was enemy number one, you know, for a long time in America, you know, he was chased down and was put into prison. Today, the drugs are a tool for psychotherapy, you know, for trauma, you know, people with, like what Rick Dobler does, you know, with, with, with maps, you know, traumatized people with, with ecstasy, mm -hmm. with MDMA. But it also means the system can accept it, you know, it's, it's kept in a safe place. People are concerned that it stays, as you said, you know, people are afraid of, the, of Timothy Lee because it can Everyone is happy it's not criminal anymore, you know, but at the same time, to me, it means it's not a good tool to really change the world anymore, mm -hmm. you know, because it's in a safe corner, you know, it's therapy, it's like sanctioned, it's being uh, even the, the US government sponsors, you know, FDA, and, and yeah. pays mm -hmm. as a possibility for psycho as a tool for psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a good tool for psychotherapy. But for us, it wasn't about psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. you know? We didn't want to be healed. And we felt that the, that the world has to be healed, that we are the only sane ones, you know, in an insane world. Mm -hmm. It had a different meaning. You know, it was a, it was a revolutionary tool in that sense. And, and Timothy, of course, he was, he, he was fired at Harvard, you know, he couldn't do all this. But he was happy because, as he says, you know, drop out, he wanted to drop out. Later on, he was um, a little bit re-established into society and things were commercialized, but then the whole world was like this. But also, Timothy had the vision that digital revolution, you know, is the next step, mm -hmm. you know. And he, he got us in contact, my sister, and I, with people like William Gibson, who wrote Neuromancer, with whom we talked and did interviews and wrote with him, and Barlow, you know, who was with uh, John Barry Barlow, who was with Grateful Death, you know, also a less enlightened person. And he also was, I met him at the Wired conferences, you know, he also, we all went more into the internet. And in fact, with Timothy Leary, Jutta and I already brainstormed in the, I think that was in the 80s, late 80s, how technology, how smaller it gets, you know. And now we have the incredibly, you know, I, we would walk around with, <laughs> 
with the video, you know, with a big thing hanging around with a camera, you know, was all heavy. But I was immediately excited about the new, new technology. Yeah. Because the storytelling about him is like he was a super smart guy and then he got kind of carried away. We don't really know, I mean, if you read about him, what really happened. And then he turned into this, I mean, if you go on YouTube and put into Missy the first thing is what comes up when you see him, like with these flowers and above his ears saying, drop out of college, drop out of draft. Like so, but I never really understood what kind of person he was. So how would you de describe him when, when you met him? Well, if I would find like a typical picture for him, I would say like in the Indian, American Indian mythology, you have like the trickster mm -hmm. or the, the coyote, you know, he was like that kind of um, out in space, you know, but always with tricks, you know, whereas other people, you know, like Leonard or like, like Ginsburg, you know, seriously studied Buddhism and, and uh, took a different path. But Timothy also was, because he, he, he was so extroverted and so, and so curious, you know, and so excited about all new evolution, you know, he was very inspiring. You know, he might have, I mean, I also read a lot of things, what, you know, in prison and all this, you know, I don't know about it and I can't, Oh, no, sure. you know, yeah. I can't really just go by my experience. But I mean, what, what I thought about, though, is that it seems you always need a person like him from a structure in a person that will communicate a revolutionary idea very kind of intense and very kind of in, in a way that people feel attracted to it. And um, I mean, even today in, in the new psychedelic field, there are people that kind of develop like a more, um, I'm not going to say egocentric approach, but they kind of try to connect this, like the third wave, like the developing or development of the new psychedelic world, they connect it very much to their person. So, and, and sometimes I think this almost has to be because people have to understand a new, very maybe a very abstract idea through another human being. I mean, I, I think that, that in our generation, we didn't have that kind of how it is today, that kind of stardom, you know. There mm -hmm. was a very flat hierarchy. But of course, there are always people who, who dare to do more, you mm -hmm. know, who go further, you know, who stop over borders. And, um, and then people who are a little more hesitant, you know, say, okay, that person can do it, you know, I can do it. But I think that's, uh, that's more like, a, like an inspiration than like, like that kind of, hierarchical, you know, because of... In all this, you know, have the tip of a spear, you know. Mm -hmm. you, you have people who just, for whatever reason, you know, are built that they dare more, you know. And, and, and Timothy was somebody who started to experiment with LSD early, to go very far out there. Yeah, and then he proclaimed, you know, what... <laughs> but, but they are more like medium, you know, like Bob Dylan is a medium, mm -hmm. you know. He expressed what everybody was thinking and feeling. Right, it's a medium, no. yeah, yeah, in a way. A, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, still, there was this one point uh, when he got fired from Harvard, suddenly Richard Nixon criminalized everything, A-class drug. And I mean, you could almost say that at that point, like the party was over kind of feeling started to happen and 
terrorism started. Like it was kind of a break, early 70s. It feels like if you yeah, look at it from was. today. Yeah, there was. I mean, the window of 68 definitely closed. At that time, we weren't so conscious of it, but there was still this attempt to keep it open, you know. And by keeping it open, people start to take more drugs, you know, because to the same time there we were feeling we are losing it, you know, and, and the increase of drugs also has to do with losing that, that pure ecstasy, you know, that doesn't need drugs, you know, which happened in the 60s, you know, was like a, the 60s isn't happening that we haven't even fully under, understood yet. You know, was like, a, to me, you know, it's like, a, even though it might sound a little trite, you know, it's, it, it was like a divine intervention or it was like a, we realize we are all God, you know, we are all part of something very big that we can't name, that we can't put our finger on and maybe shouldn't even name because it's not, we can't describe it, so, so the mind can't really. But there was this feeling of we are something else, you know, we are this complete otherness, you know, that everything so far we have been identified with, that we have been taught in school, you know, that our parents, it's all a big lie, you know. And now we are like, we know it all, you know, we see it all, we understand it, you know. The, I know that in, in the book, at some point, you know, I wrote, we felt like the, we are holy, you know, we are like everything, you know, we are like Mozart and Nietzsche and, and the great philosophers, the greatest, we are the geniuses. And it's true, because all this that they have, you know, comes from that source, mm -hmm. and we were in touch with it, and people always say, oh, how can you write it? That's so arrogant, but it's not, arrog it's not arrogance, you know, it's a revelation you have, and you don't have to boast with it, you know, but you can also name it, you know, you can see it, say it, that's how I felt, you know. Well, I mean, obviously, like, hierarchy is the first thing that falls apart if you do a psychedelic trip because you don't, the main yeah, thing you, is... Yeah, you realize that you are just part of a very big thing and you also realize you are not the doer, you know, you, you are not, you are a failure, you know, we are all failures, you know, if we admit it or if you don't. I'm ha I happily admit it, you know, because as Bob Dylan said, you know, there's no success like failure. But um, you, you realize that if you are successful, if you are, then you're already stuck, you know, and the failure will, will propel you forward, you know, you continue seeking. And, but what I'm, I mean with uh, you realize that you are not the doer is, it's so big and it's so undescribable and so unfathomable and so mysterious, you know, that you already are, you know, that you are, that you have consciousness, you know, it's so, that you know, whatever you do, you know, it's not you. It comes from somewhere, you know, it comes, it's a talent, it's a gift, it's a, and in that term, you also see, you know, everyone has it. And it's just the fear that's in between, you know, the fear and the violence. But everyone has a possibility to transform. But I mean, like today, this is what you just said, like everybody has the possibility to transform. I think, let's say, even if you don't get into psychedelics today because you want to cure a mental health problem, you still can also, let's say, use it as a tool to answer questions in your life that you maybe can't answer or you tried everything and had 20 years of psychotherapy and it's like, I still really yeah. don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, if somebody wants to go, let's call it on that journey, which you kind of did too when you, when you started the whole thing in Italy, 
So what is your kind of recommendation? I mean, today I wouldn't even recommend it that much, even though I still think to do it once or twice is, uh, is still pretty good. I don't see, as I said, you know, I think we have evolved, you know, and I think the internet and the digital revolution is already the next step. Mm -hmm. And even if you talk about drugs, you, you do it with a podcast, you yeah. know, you do it through the new... Yeah, that wouldn't yeah. be possible otherwise yeah. if there's like a and, big And that's a big, very house. big part of it. It's true, you know, it's true. That mm. can't, be, uh, can't be neglected. It's mm -hmm. not like, you know, people doing it in their private... So, but in our times, it was a medium to do it, you know, to look into yourself and have this kind of near-death experience. But what is your feeling towards that now this is becoming or is already on the way to become a really big industry and like a, a tool for maybe a lot of people out there, millions of people to cure their depression, which is something that as a thought or as an idea wasn't really there in, in that sense in maybe not at all it was an underground yeah. you know yeah. it was like completely underground therapists yeah. maybe somewhere in california yeah i mean the stanislav grof and and john halifax they already made experiments in terms of therapy and they worked with cancer people to get through the fear of dying you know they made these and i think it helped but the way they did it also was just in, always endangered, you know. And in fact, it was stopped by the government, you know. Mm -hmm. They couldn't, he had to stop. So it still was a, something that questioned the whole system, you know. It was still something to step, to drop out, mm -hmm. you know. And today it's very much part of the system. And as you said, you know, it's very much commercialized. It's, it's a big industry. And therefore, for me, it already has lost its... Um, possibility, you know, to... Well, but then at the same time, I think I read about this the whole day. I'm on LinkedIn connected to all of these new industry people. You know everything about it. If we talk about it now here on, on the show, it's like, yeah, well, you just talk about it. But at the same time, last week, our newsletter provider just shut us down yeah. because... We had like, I mean, we started the newsletter in, in January, which means like every week we wrote a newsletter that contains psychedelics, LSD, magic mushrooms, ibogaine, whatsoever. And now the algorithm detects this, obviously, and we get shut down. We have to move to another newsletter provider. So, oh, yeah. and I was like, wow, this is interesting how this completely is not in sync often with what you think yeah. is just, oh, it's super cool now, but then it's not. Yes, that's so. true. I mean, we are not talking about a completely established industry. You know, it's still borderline. Yeah. You know, it's still a lot of people still have a lot of um, fear and don't like it, you know, feel threatened by it. You yeah, know. But also algorithms obviously detect yeah. it. I'm, I'm only talking, you know, down. I'm talking, I'm, I'm trying to really understand about what's, what's a good tool, what's a good medium, you know, mm -hmm. to to um, live in a different world, you know, to go into a different world. And of course, with drugs, you temporarily do it, mm -hmm. you know, but then there's a come down. I, for example, later when I experimented with ayahuasca and also with a very, very strong drug that's called MO5. DMT, uh, DMT5. Yeah, DMT and 5-MeO, um, 5-MeO. 5-MeO mm -hmm. is very strong and you have a complete out-of-body experience. In fact, 
when you come back, you don't even, you have to relearn what's my hand, what's my, wow. you have a body, you know, because it takes you so far out of the body that it's, uh, it's scary. <laughs> Why did you do it? Well, because we, for me, <laughs> why did I do it? <laughs> no, I mean, you do research also. I yeah, mean, because you, you I'm, I'm some because things to others you don't. If you're a seeker, you want to cross, you know, every border you come on. And I always, always have been, first when I was younger, of course, you know, terrified and then increasingly more understandable that we have to learn to die, you know, and that's also the path I'm going, you know, with, with um, my spiritual family, <laughs> with Rainer and, and the other women, Christa and Brigitte. We used to call it shadow work, you know, so we understand mm -hmm. about our own dark part, our own negativity, our own innate fascism, you know, that manifests every day also in little things, you know, already how we look at the person, how we criticize a person. It's so deep, you know, it's the deepest pattern we have within ourselves. So with the drugs, it was, um, I often had also moments where I went really through hell. And then I realized, you know, this is also part of me, you know, that's me. And if, you, if we look and now we see everything, and that's why I think the digital revolution makes us see everything, all the wars, you know, everything that's going on in the world, you know, and we understand it's a mirror, you know, that, that it's us and all the horrible and terrible thing and the hate that's coming out needs to be seen, you know, and then needs to mm -hmm. be taken responsibility. And then eventually we can say we are also something else, you know, we are not only that, but we also have to realize that it's not the other, you know, it's not the other who is bad and I'm good, you know. All this is in me, you know, every terrible little thing you see is oneself. That's what you see in a lot of, I mean, in various psychedelic yeah. journeys, I guess. And yeah, that's you why, see that. Yeah, I mean, and that's why a lot of people think, well, I'm just, this, you still have the storytelling of somebody takes a drug and then it's like, whoa, super fun. And then Well, you can have that too, but if you look deeper, you, you encounter you, yeah. your deeper. And that was interesting if you want to hear an anecdote. You know, when in Los Angeles, there was in the 70s, you know, after the, the first LSD experience in Zwerlonga at the beach, you know, that there was a pure bliss enlightenment, you know, beauty, you know, God, you know, God connectedness, we are children of God. Then in the 70s, it already had changed a little bit. And, and when we met Bob Dylan, who we always wanted to meet, you know, and who we then met through, through, through Dennis, he was very different, you know, he confronted Jutta and he, he talked a lot. And he said, well, you are born 49, directly after the war, how is it to be Hitler's children, you know, what is your experience in Germany? He was the first, he was the first who really put out this question mm -hmm. in a confrontation. And uh, Jutta, and, and we, we took LSD with him, and Jutta, and he, he started to talk and he says, but how does it really feel inside? And Jutta had this vision, you know, of all the horrible things that are happening, you know. At that time, the Vietnam War, you know, all the wars, you know, the concentration camps, the mountains of killed people, dead people, you know, me and Liza shot in the, in, the, in the head. And she realized, you know, I still have this 
I still have this really dark, she realized at this moment, that's us, you know, it's me. And after the sixty experience and seeing yourself as people of love, you know, she realized I haven't transformed myself, you know, I, I still have so much really very, very fascistic, violent, very dark parts, you know. Very, and she realized that's my own dark part, you know, that is in us humans and that comes in expression, you know, in this way, you know, in this really, really terrible way. She left Los Angeles, you know, and she went with Rainer, who had after prison experience and the end of 68, in this moment of depression, you know, how can we continue? Where does the vision, what can we do? You know, in this moment of having lost in a way, you know, having, and there she, she saw this possibility, you know, with Rainer and she, with all difficulties and all your own inner contradictions, you know, and difficulties, you know, she embarked and later on I also joined the group and um, was me often running away and, and, and wanting to be normal and <laughs> all the follies that come and all the contradictions. And, but that's like the... Well, I mean, um, this is what she experienced. I think this is in a way getting pick, picked up now again by a couple of scientists. For example, what we talked in, earlier about like Rachel Yehuda, who is researching Holocaust trauma in, in the generational context and how to heal this with psychedelics. I mean, I had two experiences with LSD and psilocybin, and in both, I was hours in a concentration camp. Yeah. I mean, not as a, a Jewish um, person that's about to be killed, but as a German person who kind of walks through the camp with a rabbi and he talks to me and explains mm -hmm. to me. I think after the LSD thing, I was like, well, okay, this, okay, obviously this mm -hmm. has to come up, but it's coming all the time. It's coming back all yeah. the time. Yeah, you see how much there is inside that wants yeah. to be seen and wants to come up and... So, I mean, that's why it's something that is never really, oh, the war is over, great. And in, this is exactly, I think, when... Um, Looking at this from, from, from today, it's this break starting the 50s with saying, um, well, now everybody has a car and can eat a lot of butter and meat and drive a, have great clothes, so that's it. So, but then it kind of, everything came back in, in the 60s or like 70s. But I mean, like thinking of your first LSD experience in Italy, like which you said also in a couple of articles was one of the most important maybe the most important experience in your life. So what would you say had changed afterwards that led you on maybe a very different path than you thought you would go, maybe? Well, at that time when, I, when we had this, this um, LSD enlightenment, we felt, you know, we are like God's children, we are put on a mission, you know, to bring love back into the world. We didn't know how to do it, but we thought we can do it. You know? But you succeeded. <laughs> we had a lot of confidence. And, uh, <laughs> and even then afterwards, you know, like in Rome, when we got all the, we write in the book about it, you know, when Fellini wanted to make a film, we never called, you know, discovered us, we never called back. And the film, I mean, from then on, we failed at 
most everything in the world. You know, we were kind of, as I said earlier, you know, lost for this world because we thought, I mean, we of course loved Feline and all this film. We had studied film and we were filmmakers, you know. But I mean, who is Fellini compared to God? You know, everything was like, <laughs> we want to be free. You know, we want to go in that direction. We mm -hmm. want to explore more, you know, and we can't. So you just, let's say, you didn't say, okay, we want to go, we want to become directors because that's not enough. It's just too... Yeah, Carlo Ponti wanted to give my sister and I a contract, five-year contract, you know, and my sister and I, we went like, should we do it five years, you know, maybe the films, you know? Because we were so ecstatic, you know, and so in such an ecstatic mood and revelation that everything that felt like clipping our wings, you know, we were mm -hmm. suddenly like flying, you know, clipping our wings was very, very questionable, you know. So in the end, we decided not to do We thought five years, who knows where we're going to be or who knows where we want to be, you know, maybe mm -hmm. we're going to be in India, maybe we're going to be in Afghanistan, and Yuta, in fact, was in Afghanistan within those mm -hmm. Uh, you know, to go, to meet with a Sufi master. So we wanted to keep, we didn't want to leave, uh, we didn't want to lose that kind of incredible freedom we had experienced at that point. So you basically you could say you're not, you haven't become a seeker, more like a universal soldier. <laughs> no, we want Might to continue with that, you know, we mm -hmm. didn't want to... And I had later on, of course, I had moments of regrets and then I have moments of relief, you know, and I thought it's good we didn't do it, but I also had moments, you know, I could have taken much more chances in my life, you know. <laughs> you could have been a movie star by now. <laughs> but I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> Perfect. Famous last words after the long journey with psychedelics. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. It was a very short and interesting trip through the last yeah, 30 years. It's just, it's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you have to come back on a show. Yes, thank you, Anne. And thank I, you. I think it's, it's, it's interesting that you are, you know, actually going in that direction and yeah. exploring in that direction. I am. I mean, but similar to you, I mean, after these two experiences, the first one was last year and the second one in February, I just, um, I just really didn't think so much about it anymore. I just, it, I just went, mm. and that's so. And, and and like you also, I have this thing not anymore with. Oh, this is the job description. This is like, you're now a podcaster or a journalist, yeah. or like or a show no. creator. It's just that topic that should be yeah. And then you do things on the wayside. Yeah. That's what we did. We did films and we did books. You know. But it's, it's kind of that it, it fell off <laughs> the wayside, you know. Good. I think that's the future. Yeah. And I think you are very inventive in that regard, too. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Maybe you were my inspiration. For, I mean, since we know each other for a while now. Well, I would be happy if I was. 15 years, I think. Oh, my God, you should say this. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, great. thank you.